You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. I want to welcome you today, and I trust that this lesson today is going to be a blessing for you. I want you to tag a friend, let them know that we are live today on Facebook. You can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. But listen, I'm going to teach the lesson at the conclusion of the lesson. I'm going to give your comments. I'm going to answer your questions. So I got my iPad here. All through this lesson, I want you to send your comments. I want you to send your questions because your comments and your questions helps me to embellish, helps me to fill gaps in the lesson. And I believe your participation really makes a difference. Now, I'm very excited about this lesson, and I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. And I want you to share it with somebody. It's so easy from a technology standpoint to just push share and share it so the word can grow and increase. We're teaching on the subject, the culture of heaven. The theme of this series is the fruit of the Spirit. Today's lesson is part three, the fruit of the Spirit, what is it? Now, this is a four-lesson series. It is a character-based series, and we're going to conclude today. We're going to finish today, and then we'll begin a new series next week, and it's going to be a character-based series next week also. But our background scripture is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, and it reads, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. Now, I am reviewing what we're teaching at our church here at Faith Chapel, uh, Faith Chapel, Birmingham, Faith Chapel, Columbus, and I am coming back on my Tuesday podcast and kind of reviewing what we taught on Sundays, but also giving you an opportunity to ask questions. On Sunday, you can't really ask a question, but we wanted to give you an opportunity to be able to ask questions. And then there are others of you who watch this podcast, but you're not a member of Faith Chapel. You may be involved in your own church. You may be pastoring. So this gives you an opportunity to, to, to grow along uh, with us. You know, I wasn't, I didn't minister at the church Sunday. I was in Mobile. So my son, Michael K., uh, was ministering, our exec pastor was ministering here in Birmingham. And then our campus pastor, uh, Naomi Scarborough, was ministering in our Columbus, Georgia campus. And so 
since I wasn't here, I was ministering in Mobile, I wanted to hear and keep growing with what we're teaching. So I listened to Michael K. And that's the beautiful thing about our app, see? You can download our app. You can go to Mike Moore Ministries, and, or you can go to faithchapel.net. You can download the free app. And on our app, we put our Sunday messages. And then you can listen to Birmingham. You can listen to Columbus. Uh, and that's wonderful. So I had the opportunity. I listened to Mike K and his teaching here in Birmingham. And then I switched over and I listened to Naomi, her teaching in Columbus. Now they were teaching the same series, the same subject, but they're teaching uh, using the same scriptures for the most part, but they're flowing out of their own experience and their own illustrations, and they did a masterful job. I enjoyed both uh, lessons, and I encourage you to listen to both Birmingham and Columbus because it just blessed my heart to listen to both of them. So this is somewhat of a review of what we've been teaching. We're teaching on the fruit of the Spirit, mentioned or listed in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, and the fruit of the Spirit is the non-character traits of Jesus placed in seed form in the reborn human spirit of the believer when the believer made Jesus Christ Lord. In other words, when, G when you invited Jesus or anyone invites Jesus into their lives as Lord, the Holy Spirit places in seed form in the reborn human spirit of the believer, the nine character traits of Jesus. And these traits are placed in our spirit in seed form. So it is our responsibility as believers, along with the Holy Spirit, we're going to see that later, along with the Holy Spirit, to develop these character traits of Jesus. Now, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you before we get in the lesson today. Uh, what is spiritual maturity? If I ask you right now, and I said, do you as a Christian, as a believer, do you want to grow spiritually? You want to be spiritually mature because the Bible says in first Peter chapter two, first Peter chapter two, it talks about the babyhood stage desire, the sincere milk of the word that you grow as a newborn babe. So there's the babyhood stage of uh, the Christian journey. And then in Ephesians four, it talks about no longer being children in Christ. So notice there's the babyhood stage, there's the childhood stage, and then in Hebrews chapter 4, um, pardon me, chapter 5, it talks about the adulthood stage. Babyhood stage of Christianity, childhood stage, and then the adulthood stage. So I want to ask you a question, just an introductory question. What is spiritual maturity? Because I'm quite sure you want to grow. You don't want to stay a baby. You, you don't want to stay a child. You want to be a spiritual adult. What is spiritual maturity? 
Well, I believe spiritual maturity is development and growth in the fruit of the Spirit. As we grow and develop in the Spirit, in the fruit of the Spirit, then we will develop into spiritual adult Christians. So we can surmise that baby Christians don't exemplify much of the fruit of the Spirit. Childhood Christians exemplify a little bit more, but when you see an adult, a spiritually mature Christian, you can really see a huge development. You can literally see Jesus Christ because really, what does Jesus look like? He looks like the fruit of the Spirit. These are the qualities of what Jesus looked like. Now, Let's, let's, we've looked at uh, the nine qualities and we've done three each lesson. In our, our second lesson, because in lesson one, we talked about the works of the flesh. In our second lesson, we talked about love and joy and peace. In our third lesson, we talked about long suffering, gentleness, and goodness. Now, in this last lesson, we're going to talk about the last three, <coughs> three qualities of the character of Jesus. We're going to talk about faith or faithfulness. We're going to talk about meekness and we're going to talk about temperance. And then we're going to share with you how to develop in the fruit of the spirit. So let's talk about what the traditional King James version says, faith. But if you studied that out in the Greek language, that word faith it's not talking about faith that comes by hearing. It doesn't, it's not talking about saving faith, but that word faith literally means faithfulness. This is a fruit of the spirit. Faithfulness was placed in your reborn human spirit at the moment you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Faithfulness. So what is faithfulness. There are three basic components of faithfulness, trustworthiness, dependability, and perseverance. Trustworthiness, dependability, and perseverance. Let's look at trustworthiness. Trustworthiness means to keep your word. It means to keep your promise. And when we look at Jesus, we see the epitome of trustworthiness. He promised because the God decided to redeem, the Father decided to redeem man. And Jesus decided to volunteer. He said, I'll go. And Jesus was trustworthy. He kept his word. He kept his promise to the Father to come into this earth and to redeem mankind. And all through his life, when you look at Jesus, he's keeping his word. He's keeping his promise. To look like Jesus, to grow and develop in faithfulness, 
We have to be committed to keeping our word. We have to be committed to keeping our promise across every spectrum, every realm, every avenue of existence. We must be committed to keeping our word in our homes, whether we're a husband or a wife or parents, it's so critical that we commit to keeping our word. And then when we move outside of our home, whether it's job or school, whether it's business or ministry, it's so very important that we commit to keeping our word and to keep our promise. That's a part of the character of Jesus Christ. Now, dependability is being reliable in carrying out our responsibilities, fulfilling our roles. Whatever our responsibilities are, we should be dependable. You know, life, really, life is a team sport. I, I've often said that marriage is a team sport because it is. But when you think about it, life is really a team sport. You know, think about it. God places us within the framework of families. You have a husband, father. You have a, a husband, wife, father, mother. You have children. And, and maybe you don't have the whole package, but there's a team uh, component to having a great family. And then when we look at on our jobs, we're normally connected to other people. There's a team situation. At school, we're working within the framework of our classmates, our teachers, and other leaders, coaches, mentors. You see, life is a team sport. And there's always someone depending on us. They're depending on us in church. They're depending on us at work. And really, faithfulness is being dependable, being reliable to carry out our responsibilities, to be reliable to fulfill our responsibilities, whether it's the natural side of life, the spiritual side of life. So I ask this question, how dependable are you. How dependable. Can people depend on you to carry your weight? Can they depend on you to fulfill your role? Well, I'm a, I have multiple roles. In my home, I'm a uh, husband. Uh, I'm a father. And each one of those roles are different. So my commitment and your commitment to be what is my role and can the folk who are connected to me, can they depend on me? Can they depend on you? That's what faithfulness is. It's dependability, is being reliable and carrying our, out our responsibilities. Nothing is more uh, deflating and sometimes even discouraging to be on a team with individuals that you can't depend on. You can't depend on them to do their part. And it, it's so frustrating to have someone 
who is lacking maybe the skill set or even the energy or the commitment, or maybe they're lazy, or maybe they are just disconnected. There's nothing more deflating on a team than being connected to someone who's not willing to carry out their responsibility. But that's what faithfulness is. And then thirdly, faithfulness is being uh, perseverant, uh, persevering, refusing to quit, dedicated to seeing things through to completion, not just starting things, but seeing them through not just starting, but finishing all the way to the end. So when we, we look at Jesus and, and you, you know, I, um, I, I heard Michael K say something in his teaching. He used, uh, the illustration of when, um, they were replacing Judas, Judas hung himself. So the scripture in Psalms has said that someone would take his office and replace him. So Peter stood up after the ascension of Jesus. The 120 people are in the upper room, the disciples, and they're deciding who will replace Judas. And it's interesting the criteria that they use the criteria that they used to determine who would replace Judas was they looked out and they asked this question, who began with us when Jesus was in the earth all the way from the time he was baptized to John to the time he ascended, who among us was a part of that group. And they came up with two men and they finally selected Matthias. And it's interesting, out of all the qualities that they could have used, they used the quality of faithfulness. To begin at the baptism of John the Baptist, who was there when John, John baptized Jesus, all the way up, to when Jesus was ascended, and that really boils down to faithfulness. It boils down to faithfulness. It boils down to keeping your word, keeping your promise, being reliable, fulfilling your responsibilities, and then watch this, refusing to quit, following through. And the interesting thing about the selection, at these two men, were not really considered leaders. They were not considered leaders. In fact, we don't know anything about them until this uh, here in Acts chapter one. But now notice how faithfulness leads to promotion. Notice how faithfulness is something that God looks at. It's, it's very important to God. The Bible says in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. The number one requirement of stewardship, and all of us are stewards, is that we be faithful. 
faithfulness. God looks for faithfulness. Do we keep our word? Do we keep our promise? I know you want to be promoted. God looks at faithfulness. Do we fulfill our role? Do we carry out our responsibilities? Faithfulness. Do we persevere? Do we refuse to quit? Do we navigate through the situation and see things through? So when we look at Jesus, we see all three components of, uh, we see him keeping his word, keeping his promise. We see him operate in his responsibilities. He was given an assignment. And he said, what my father tells me to do, that's what I do. I came to do the will of the father. He knew his assignment. He carried out his role. And then he fulfilled his, his, his responsibilities. He persevered through misunderstanding, persecution, even through the cross. And he finished. He, he completed what he started. So we have a a beautiful example in Jesus Christ of faithfulness. The second fruit is meekness. Now, often people confuse meekness. You can send your comments, your questions, anything that you want to discuss at this time. Uh, Meekness often is confused with weakness, but meekness is really a strength. And I have, I have four different definitions to give you a broad understanding of what meekness is. But meekness is on the inside of you, just like faithfulness, just like temperance is on the inside of you. Now, meekness, number one, it is a mindset of being teachable, a mindset of being teachable. Jesus is always our example. So in in Luke chapter 2, verses 46 and verse 52, it says that after the parents of Jesus, Joseph and Mary, had gone to Jerusalem for the feast, for a feast, they left the feast thinking Jesus, their young child, he was 12 years old, they thought he was with the family. They went a day's journey and discovered Jesus was missing. Well, they went back, backtracked their tracks to try to find their their 12-year-old child. After three days of looking, they found Jesus in the temple. And now listen what it says about Jesus. It says they found him in in the temple, both listening to the teachers and asking them questions. Now, that's powerful. Here's Jesus. He's a child, but he's the son of God. He's in the temple, and the religious leaders are in the temple, and the Bible says that Jesus, as a 12-year-old kid, he's listening to them, and then he's asking them questions. That's being teachable. He's listening And then he's asking them questions. And then it says about Jesus and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Now, notice he began not by talking, but by listening, by asking questions. I can tell a lot about 
people, you know, there, there are people who say, uh, you're my mentor, uh, you're my father in the faith, you're my this, you're my that, or you're my pastor. I can learn a lot from people by whether or not they are listening. And I can also learn a lot by people when they ask questions. I've always been that way. Even as a kid, uh, I've always been the kind of person I listen to you and then I ask questions, especially if I don't understand. I listen, I ask questions as a little kid. In fact, uh, my teacher, I was 11 or 12 years old, gave me the Sunday school class because I was asking so many questions. I was asking questions and I, I was giving answers and I was just a kid. Well, Jesus noticed the progression. He was listening asking questions. He didn't go in there talking. Sometimes we're, we're around people who can really bless us and help us, but we're talking too much. We, we're sharing our thoughts and our feelings. No, you begin by listening, and then you ask questions, and then the next thing it says about Jesus, they were astonished at his understanding and his answers. He didn't share his understanding. He didn't uh, share his answers until he both listened and he asked questions. And then verse 52 says, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So meekness is one of the real keys to growth spiritually. That's being teachable, having a mindset of teaching being teachable. Second definition of meekness is a mindset of submission to human authority. You know, some people, they want to grow, but they have a mindset, I'm just going to listen to the Lord. I don't, I don't need to listen to a man. I'm just going to listen to the Lord. But Jesus wasn't like that. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 16, the Bible says that Jesus came from Galilee to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. Now, listen at this. We're talking about meekness, submission to human authority, not human authority. We're not talking about God now. But we know human authority should be submitted to God. But we're not talking about submitting to God. We're talking about submitting to human authority. The Bible says that Jesus went from Galilee to John the Baptist to be baptized by John the Baptist. Well, when he got to, to the Jordan River and John was baptizing, well, Jesus looked at John and said, I want you to baptize me. And John the Baptist said, what? You want me to baptize you? You should be baptizing me because John recognized that he was the Messiah. He was the, he was the one that Israel was waiting on. So he understood authority. And so John said, no, no, you need to baptize me. But now watch the meekness of Jesus. Watch how he submitted to the human authority. Jesus knew, based off scripture, that God, his father, had called John the Baptist to do what he was doing. Jesus knew from scripture that John the Baptist had an assignment from God. 
And Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, recognized the authority that God had given John the Baptist, and he was willing to submit to John's authority. And he was baptized by John. And the interesting thing about that baptism is that when he came out of the water, the Bible says that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And then it said, the Father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son, and whom I well please. Now notice, God recognizes meekness, and he honors us when we submit to human authorities. Now, we all know that we're not talking about submitting to abuse. We're not talking about submitting to ungodly authority. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about God-ordained authority in the earth. So we should submit to human authority, whether it be in the natural realm, whether it's police officers or government officials, or whether it's authority, civil authorities, or whether it's authorities in the church. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher is an authority. But let's go beyond that. Let's talk about delegating authority because sometimes people say, well, I'll submit to the pastor, but I'm not submitting to those other folks. And then some people say, some people, they'll walk in church and totally ignore. In fact, before they get to church, they'll totally ignore the parking attendants, their authorities, the ushers, their authorities the greeters, their authorities, and some people will totally ignore their instructions, and yet they want to walk in a setting, be blessed by God, and be promoted. But they're not meek. They're not meek. You see, I've learned, and I really learned this from my parents. I learned the importance of submitting to human authority from my parents. I, I, I learned that. And I look at Christians sometimes, they don't want to submit to human authority. They don't want to submit to delegated authority. They say, well, I'll submit to Pastor Mike because I love Pastor Mike. I trust Pastor Mike. But I'm not listening. I'm not submitting to those folk under him. I, I'm not going to do that. Well, see, you're not meek. You're not, you're not meek. You know, meekness is submitting to human authority. Thirdly, meekness is a mindset of submitting to the leadership of the Father and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit of God led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted. He was willing to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, leadership of the Father. Now watch this. You notice the progression even in our definitions. Meekness is being teachable, a mindset of being teachable. Meekness is a mindset of submit to human authority, because if you're not teachable, you won't submit to human authority. And then meekness is submitting to the Father and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's beautiful, because think about it. If you cannot submit to people that you can see, you're not going to submit to the Spirit of God. You're not going to submit to the Father. You can't even see the Father. So notice the progression, a mindset of being teachable, 
than a mindset of submitting to human authority because much of the time God trains us to be submitted to him through our submission to human authority. And I really learned that really as a child. You know, and, and I'll speak to young people now, students and teenagers, if you can't submit to your parents or submit to teachers or submit to coaches or submit to principals, you're not going to be able to submit to the Father and submit to the, the Holy Spirit. Notice the progression. And then finally, meekness is the right use of power and authority. It's power under control. You know, it is, it's really interesting. It's, it's something about being under. There's a level of meekness that requires you to be in proper order under someone. But you have to also be meek when you're over people, when you're over them, when you have the authority, when you're calling the short shots. Are you going to be arrogant? and a know-it-all and not listen to anybody, and then you can abuse that authority. It takes meekness to not misuse the authority that you have. So it takes meekness to be on authority. It takes meekness to be in authority. In Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 52 through 54, uh, during the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers came, they were arresting Jesus, and Peter pulled his sword, cut off one of the soldiers' ears. Jesus reached down, healed the person's ear, and then he told uh, Peter to put up his sword. And then he said something to Peter that's very powerful. He said, Peter, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels to rescue me if I wanted to? Now, notice what Jesus said. I could call thousands of angels because I have the authority. But he didn't use that authority because to use that authority would have gone against God's will. So even in authority, we have to submit our use of authority under God's will. So we've talked about uh Faithfulness, we talked about meekness. Let's talk about temperance. Temperance was placed on the inside of you. Temperance is self-control. A lot of times we yield to our flesh rather than yielding to the Spirit of God who has placed temperance on the inside of us. You said, well, I don't feel like I have control. I feel like I lack control. Well, let's do this. Let's bring our words and our believing and our action on the submission of what God says. God says that you have temperance. Temperance is on the inside of you. Temperance is in your human spirit. You have self-control. So even though you may not be developed in self-control, maybe you're not walking in self-control, let's begin in faith 
with our possession. And let's change what we're saying and let's stop saying, I can't help it. I have to do this. I, it's just my nature. It's just who I am. I was born this way. Let's stop saying that. Let's start saying what God says and let's start saying, I have self-control. So what is self-control? Self-control is strength to stand against excess. It is the strength on the inside of you to stand against excess. I have a comment. Thank you for your comment. I have a question. Thank you for your question. Come on, continue to send me your comments. Continue to send me your questions. I'm going to answer them at the end of the lesson. So listen, temperance is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful character of Jesus that's on the inside of you. It is the strength to stand against excess. It's really the ability to say no to sin and yes to God when you're being tempted. The ability to say no to, to sin and yes to God when you're being tempted. But let's go back to this excess thing because oftentimes when we think about the works of the flesh, we think about sex. Uh, we think about fornication and adultery and homosexuality, and those are works of the flesh. But there's so many other areas that we are negligent in, and we lack self-control in terms of walking in it. So self-temperance is the strength Come on, say, I have the strength. Come on, say, I got the strength. It is the strength to stand against excess. Well, excess in what arena? Excess in your thoughts. And worry is excess in my thoughts. It's not controlling my thinking. And you can control your thoughts. The Bible says, take heed to what you think. The Bible says, think on these things. The Bible says, casting down thoughts and imaginations. You can control your thoughts and worry is excess in the thought arena. And then sometimes there's excess in our words. We talk too much. Have you ever seen somebody and, and you can't get a word in because they're just constantly talking, just constantly talking. Do you know the Bible says that in the, in the multitude of words, you'll find sin? It's in the Bible. In the multitude of words, you'll find sin. People who talk all the time are not meek because meekness is being teachable. So if you're talking all the time, always talking, always, that's an excess. You end up in gossip. You end up in uh, whispering, you end up in backbiting. That's excess. You have the strength to stand against excess. That's excess in your words. Naturally, you can have excess in your uh, sexual desires. You can, you can have excess in your sexual desires even as a married couple. I mean, think about it. If you have to have sex 
all the time, whether the person is feeling good, let's say a person is sick, let's say uh, your spouse is on her period, her menstrual cycle, and, and she's very uncomfortable, you know, and, and she just, she just very, it's a difficult time for her. And then you have to have sex at that time, and she's telling you, I'm uncomfortable. That's excess, even though it's legal, even though it's just excess. It's a, it's, it's, you have the strength to control yourself. Emotions, excess of emotions is wrath. When you just blow up on people, well, I can't help it. That's just who I am. Uh, that, that I just gave them a piece of my mind. No, you have the strength. That's excess in your emotions. Excess in eating. And you know, we're getting ready now for Thanksgiving and that's my best eating. I must confess, that's my best eating day. But you're going to have to, you're going to have to get some, you're going to have to exercise some control during these holidays days, or you're going to be gaining a whole lot of weight that you don't need to gain. And that doesn't mean you can't enjoy yourself. That doesn't mean you can't eat some pie and eat some chicken or whatever you're going to be eating, but you don't have to eat the whole chicken and you don't have to eat the whole pie. You have self-control, excess in eating. Some Christians have excess in their work. They're workaholics. If you're a workaholic, then there's excess. And then excess in their relationships. Some of you, you got too many relationships. You got too many people you're connected to. That's why you can't give your priority to your spouse or your kid, because you got too many relationships. I can't, I can't afford too many relationships, because I have a commitment to my wife, a commitment to children, a commitment to family. Then I got a commitment to my church, and I, I just can't have have a whole lot of relationships that's required a lot of time. You can have excess in your spending, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't walk in a store without buying something. You got self-control. You can say no to things. You can say no to things. Now, let's, let's uh, conclude this by talking about how do I develop you know, how do I develop? Any questions, any comments that you have? How do I develop these fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and meekness, and temperance. How, how do I develop this, Mike? How do I develop the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, I'm going to share with you in the remaining times that I share with you, and then I'll go to your comments and your questions, three keys to character development. I'm talking about all nine of them. Three keys. Clarity, intentionality, and abiding. Those are the three keys. Clarity, intentionality, and abiding. Come on, say that after me. Clarity, intentionality, and abiding. Come on, say it one more time. Clarity, intentionality and abiding. Let's talk about clarity. Clarity of purpose. Clarity of purpose. Okay. If I ask you, what is God's purpose, his grand purpose for the believer, for the Christian, 
if I ask you, what is God's grand purpose for your life? What would you say? Now, if you said God's grand purpose for my life is that I be successful in life, I would say not, that's not God's grand purpose. If you said God's grand purpose is that I walk in my kingdom inheritance, my inheritance in Christ, I would say, no, that's not your, God's grand purpose. I would say you being successful is God's will. He wants you to be successful in your home life, successful in your career, successful uh, in your school, successful in business, successful in ministry. He wants you to be successful, but that's not God's grand purpose. He wants you to walk in your inheritance. He wants you to uh, walk in divine health. He wants you to prosper. He, he wants you to enjoy safety. He wants you to, to walk in your inheritance in Christ. But that's not his grand purpose. So what is his grand purpose? His grand purpose for your life is Christ-likeness, is Christ-likeness. Now, this is so very important, and I'm going to show you from the scripture. This is so very important that you get this, because if you don't get this, you will end up pursuing, putting all your pursuits in things that are legitimately God's will, but your priorities will be off. You will be seeking the success. You will be seeking the help. You will be seeking the prosperity. You will be seeking the promotions and all that. And that's great. That's God's will, but it's not his grand purpose for your life. Now, I said Christ likeness. I'll prove it from the scriptures. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 it says, for all things work together for good to those who love God. Now watch this. And those who are called according to his purpose. Now, those that are called to his purpose. Romans chapter 8, 28. The B part says to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29 in the New King James Version gives us the purpose. It says, for whom he, the Father, foreknew, he, the Father, predetermined, predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that's Jesus, that he, his Son, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. In a nutshell, this is saying that the Father God, in his foreknowledge, he knew who would receive his son Jesus. He knew who would be born again. Now, he did not predestinate or predetermine who would be saved. 
and who would be lost. No, he didn't predetermine that. He didn't predestinate. That's what predestinate means, to predetermine. He did not predetermine, you're going to be saved, you're going to be lost. No, 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 no. He gave human will to man to determine that. But because he knew in his foreknowledge, God knows everything, he could see down through human history, and he knew exactly who would reject his son. He knew exactly who would use their human will and accept his son. And because he knew who would accept his son, he predetermined that those who accepted his son would be conformed into the image of his son, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ would be the firstborn of many brethren. In other words, he will send Jesus in the earth and then those who would be born again would be conformed to Jesus' image. So even though Jesus would ascend back to heaven, Jesus through the brethren will still be manifested in the earth. So God's grand purpose for your life, believer, Christian, is that you be just like Jesus in the earth, just like him in the earth, conform to his image. And these nine character traits is Jesus' image. So the more you develop these traits, the more you're going to be conformed to Jesus' image, the more you're going to be just like Jesus, and the more the Father's purpose will be fulfilled. And his purpose is that you be just like Jesus, that you be conformed to his image, not your image, his image, not my image, Jesus' image. So all of your, your primary focus should be on being like him, not success. God wants you to be success. I preach sex. It should not be prosperity. God wants you to prosper. I'm a prosperity teacher, but that shouldn't be your primary motivation. Your primary motivation is to be Christ-like, to be just like Christ. So you have to have clarity of purpose. You got to be clear on what the purpose is, because if you're unclear, you're going to be pursuing a lot of stuff and things and forget about what you should be focusing on. Because God says, now, if you seek first the kingdom, if you're seeking to be like Christ, he said, I'm going to add everything that you need. I'm going to add your favor. I'm going to add the help that you need. I'm going to add everything, the prosperity. I'm going to give you the jobs. I'm going to give you the promotions. I'm going to give you the raise. I'm going to give you the influence. I'm going to increase you. But you're, you're, you have to be clear on what you should be pursuing. Now, the second key is intentionality. The intentionality of purpose now, the Apostle Paul says something in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 in the New Living Translation. He said, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus 
first possess me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, this one thing. I focus on this one thing. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Now, the Apostle Paul communicates the intentionality of his pursuit. He said, I haven't arrived to being just like Jesus. That would be perfect. He said, I am growing. He says, I have to forget the past. I have to forget. Uh, I may come up short in some areas, but I, got, I can't focus on that. He says, I got to press. In other words, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a process, but he said, I'm pressing to be more like him. I'm intentional about it. Now, to be intentional is the second key in your pursuit. You're going to have to set character development goals. In the same way that you set money goals, you set job goals, you set family goals, you set a career goals, you set all these goals, less now start setting some character development goals. Let's set some goals to develop in the fruit of the spirit. In other words, you can target certain areas where you're weak at, you look, you, you look at everything that you, you've been hearing. Okay, am I weak in joy? Am I weak in peace? Am I weak? Maybe weak is not the best word. Maybe underdeveloped. Maybe I'm undeveloped in long-suffering. Maybe I'm undeveloped in, in meekness. I'm undeveloped in temperance. So you can set certain goals. I am going to grow in this particular area and then have someone to hold you accountable. Intentionality. Then the third key is abiding, and, and this is going to be very powerful. Abiding in Christ, abiding. John chapter 15, I want to read that, and I'm, I'm, near, I'm near finished now. And I'm a, I, I got a comment, I got a question. If you got any comments or questions, please send them in now. Uh, I'm nearing that time when I'm going to answer those questions. Abiding in Christ, John chapter of, of 15. I want to read it in uh, verses four through five in the New King James Version. And then I'm going to read verse seven and eight in the King James Version. And it says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it's abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Then verse 7 and 8 in the King James says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my exempt, my disciple. Now, now minister uh, uh, Naomi uh, used a really powerful analogy about the fruit tree. Uh, and it was just really powerful. Now, listen at this. If you think about a fruit tree and connect that word abide to a fruit tree, the word abide means to stay joined to. It means to remain in. 
It means to fellowship with, to be present, to continually be aware. So if you got this fruit tree and, and you got the trunk of the tree and then you got the branches of the tree and then the fruit hangs on uh, the branches. And the Bible says that we're the branch and we're to bear fruit. But for the branch to bear fruit, it has to be connected to the tree. It has to be connected to the vine. You, you, you can't be disconnected. If a branch is disconnected, it is going to die. It's going to wither and the fruit will rotten. So the first key to abiding in Christ is connection. You've got to be connected. Now listen very carefully. Connection. How do I connect to Christ? Through meditating the word, through prayer, and through our obedience. We meditate the word, we pray, and we obey. We meditate, pray, and obey. And we have to stay connected. We can't be connected to the to sitcoms and movies, and I love movies, okay? We can't be connected to social media, and, and I'm on social media right now, okay? We've got to be connected to the Word, connected to the Father in prayer, and connected by obedience. Now, listen at this. If we're disconnected, we're not going to bear much fruit. I want you to do something. I want you to go back and I want you to listen to these four lessons, all four of them. And when you get to the fruit of the spirit in lesson two, three and four, I want you to meditate. I want you to take the time and meditate. Go back and listen to all of them and take your time and toss it around in your mind. Personalize it, mutter it, meditate what you're hearing. And then I want you to spend quality time praying to God about areas in your life. Pray about development. And then I want you to obey God. I want you to do something else that I've done. And I think it'll be a blessing for you. I have gone back through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And I've done a Jesus study. I did a Jesus study. I do it from time to time I, because his life is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I would look every place where he was either doing something or saying something or reacting to something. And I wanted to see how he dealt with life. That is a very interesting thing. You can do it on your own. You're not going to reread verse by verse through the Gospels. You're going to be looking at his life every time he said something, every time he did something, every time he responded to something, and it, it'll be powerful. I wanted to see Jesus in the scriptures. Dependency is the second key to abiding. You have to be connected. Dependency. The sap flows from the vine to the branches, supplying water, minerals, and nutrients for growth. The sap is critical because it's flowing through the vine and the sap is supplying water to the branches, minerals and nutrients for the branches to grow and produce fruit. Well, the Holy Spirit is analogous to the sap. The Holy Spirit was sent to supply grace and strength 
and guidance and support, you're not going to operate and develop in the fruit of the Spirit without the Holy Spirit help. Trust me, it's not willpower. If you don't have fellowship with him and say, now, Holy Spirit, help me to control this. Holy Spirit, help me to respond this way. Help me to do this. Help me to be long-suffering here. Help me to be kind right here. Uh, You're not going to be able to do any of this. If if you're going to depend on willpower and just human strength, you're not going to be able to do anything. So it's going to take you being connected to the word, connected through prayer and obedience, dependent on the Holy Spirit, and then you're just going to have to continue. You're going to have to continue to remember that you're an ambassador of Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. you got to continue. that got to be in the forefront of your thinking every day. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And I believe that if you'll go back and listen to what we taught, those four lessons, I, I promise you it's going to change your life. Now, Jesus said in closing, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Not if you be lifted up, but if Jesus lifted up through the fruit of the Spirit, he said, I'll draw men to myself. Now, I got a a couple of comments and I got a question. And if you have anything else, you can send in at this time. Uh, The first comment is, I hear all the time listening and asking questions is a key to operating a successful business. Here's a comment. I hear all the time listening and asking questions is key to operating a successful business. And I think that is 100% accurate. Okay? If you want to operate a successful business in anything, a successful ministry, you're going to have to listen. Let's do the natural side. Let's do the natural side. You're going to have to listen and ask questions from people who are operating a successful business. You listen to them. If you get a chance to listen to them and ask questions. If you're talking to, if you want to have a successful business, successful ministry, then don't go in a succession doing all the talking. You know what you know, but you don't know what this person who has a successful business, successful ministry, you don't know what they know. You know what you know. So what you want to do is you want to position yourself. If it's a business, you want to listen to somebody who has a successful business and if I wanted that, I would set some kind of appointment, some kind of something with somebody, some kind of way. And you listen and you ask questions. The same would be for ministry. Now, I've said this. I know he doesn't. I know he doesn't remember it. OK, but it's true. Years ago, when Faith Chapel and Faith Chapel is the ch- church that I'm the senior pastor of in Birmingham and Columbus, Georgia, Birmingham, Alabama, Columbus, Georgia. When our church was young and struggling, we were really struggling. And there was a church in our city, 
and that church is in our city right today, thriving church right now, pastored by Pastor Steve Green. Pastor Steve Green is my friend. I consider him, I will always consider him my friend and always appreciate his input in my life, but he doesn't remember. Well, Faith Chapel was struggling at the time. I mean, we were struggling big time at the time, but everybody was talking about more than conquerors. All I heard about was more than conquerors. You know, people were going there. Uh, the worship was wonderful. The, the ministry of the word was wonderful. I mean, it was a mega church, okay? So we're struggling. We're not growing. We know we're near a mega church. We're we, we not even a, 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 a medium-sized church. We're struggling. So I've learned this, and I learned this years ago, and maybe it'll be a blessing to you. I learned you can be intimidated or you can be inspired. Some people, they see other successful people, and they become intimidated, and then they tap over into jealousy and they talk them down, okay? That's their insecurity talking. I've learned to be inspired. So I decided I'm gonna go to More Than Conquerors and I went to More Than Conquerors, it was a Sunday, and I, 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 they, they were in this area, they're not in the same area now, but they was in a community, and I parked in that community and everybody would park and they would walk to the church. It was a huge number of people parked all over the community and they were walking to church. And I looked around, I saw all these people going to church, all these people going to church. And then I went to the service and I sat in the service and it was just absolutely amazing. It was wonderful. The worship was wonderful. The ministry of the word was wonderful. It was just, and I could clearly see why people were attracted to the church. I mean, I, I wasn't sitting up there thinking they doing this wrong. I don't like that. I don't like I didn't think that at all. I was just so impressed. So I wanted to talk to Pastor Steve Green. Now, he didn't know me, but I wanted to talk to Pastor Steve Green. I set up a counseling uh, appointment. With, I'm a pastor now. I set up a counseling session with him. He doesn't remember. I know he doesn't remember because he had all these folk he talking to. And I went there and all I did was ask questions. That's all I did was ask questions because I was impressed with the church. I, I felt like every church should be growing like this. Every church should have this going. I didn't feel like he had done anything wrong and he had took people. I didn't even think that. That wasn't even my mind. I just knew that what I see here in More Than Conquerors, what I see in this man of God, Steve Green, is what I want. Okay? I believe Every church should be growing like this. Not every church should be more than conquerors, but every church should be growing like this. And so I ask questions. So to say in this comment, if you want to go somewhere, talk to somebody who's gone where you're going. And don't go in talking a lot. You ask questions, tell them where you are, and then you listen. And then let them ask you questions. Let them share with you, and you'll get more out of it. But that's a great comment. Thank you so very much for sending it. Question, is not submitting to those in authority other than the pastor a form of mistrust of the pastor's decision? Now listen at the question. Is not submitting to those in authority other than the pastor a form of mistrust of the pastor's decision? Yes.
Some people, and I use myself as an example, and I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but some people will say, well, you know, I'll listen to Pastor Mike, but I'm not going to listen to his leaders. I'm not going to listen to them because they don't this and they don't have this and they don't have that and they ain't this. Well, you have to really be careful about your attitude because leaders under the pastor may be growing Leaders may not be as developed as you may think they need to be developed or whatever, but there's a respect that you're supposed to have for those leaders, and there's an honor that you're supposed to give those leaders because those leaders represent the pastor's wisdom. It represents the pastor's decision. And, you know, I don't think every pastor makes perfect leadership decisions on who, but that's his wisdom and that's his leadership. You know what I mean? That's his. And, and so sometimes God watches us much of the time and not just how we submit to the pastor, but how do we submit to delegated authority? Because, see, God can get you where he wants you to go and no pastor and nobody can stop you from getting where God wants you to go. You gotta believe that first. But sometimes our attitude, we can see a flaw in a delegated authority and we think that gives us the right to have a bad attitude. And God is saying, no, your attitude is wrong. This person may not have it all together. This person may not have it all together, but that's normally not true anyway. It's normally not true. All the leaders don't have it together. All those leaders under him, all those leaders don't love God. That's not true. That's not true. That's a generalization. And you you generalize it. That's like the woman or the man who goes through a divorce and said, no man, no woman. I want no marriage, nowhere. That's a generalization. I don't think nowhere all the people don't have it together. So I think that's a good question. Comment. So when I was in the world, I didn't look like Christ. But the moment that I repented and asked him to come into my life, I started to look like him. Well, that's a comment. Thank you, because you should be looking like Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit gives you a grid to be able to measure, are you looking more like Christ? Because see, you can go back and listen to these four lessons, and then you can actually be grading yourself on, am I looking more like Christ? And then you have other folk to hold you accountable, other people you can ask questions do you see this in me? Do you see that in me? Am I growing in this area? The Bible says that we're to admonish one another. It doesn't have to be a pastor. It doesn't have to be a leader. It can be just a member. Am, do you see the fruit? Do you see this in me? I know I've been challenged in this area. Am I? You can ask a brother or sister, am I better? Do you think I'm better in this? God looks at stuff like that, and he will bless you, and the Spirit of God will grow you. Listen at this question. Do you believe in divine connections? Yes, I do. I definitely believe in divine connections. I believe that there are people, I believe that there are people that God will connect you to, and sometimes it's personal. He'll connect you to them in a personal way, and sometimes it may be virtual that he connects you. For example, it was years before I ever personally saw my 
father in the faith, Dr. Price, Fred Price. And it was years before I could, I even spoke to him. I mean, but I would listen to the, read all his books and listen to the tapes at that time and all that. And I watched the television because I felt a divine connection. So there are people that God will connect you in business, connect you in ministry, connect you uh, in, in whatever field you call. I definitely believe in divine connections uh, because we're never going to grow and we're never going to be successful in isolation. And I'll throw this out at you, although I'm not trying to get you to go against your conviction. I know that many people are on a virtual right now. I'm not pushing people. You got to attend church. You got to. I don't know what your health situations are. I don't know what your underlining uh, things are in your life. So I'm not in the pool. Pay. Say you got to go in the building. You got. No, I'm not telling you to do that. But I will say this. I will say this. Don't get too comfortable with virtual because God never intended for us to grow in isolation. I'll just throw that out at you. He never intended for us to grow in isolation. All right. Thank you. We'll begin something new next week.